I think it's true to say that many people don't want just a church to attend. They don't want just a, a religion that's a cultural badge. That's my culture, that's my religion. They want a way of life, don't they? That's what many people are looking for, a way of life. It might be a spirituality, like yoga. It might be a cause, like veganism. What is it about January and veganism at the moment, all in the news? It might be a way of thinking, like mindfulness. But it provides a way of life, something that will motivate and influence all of life. I think that's why traditional religion is being abandoned by many people. It sounds like a church service that you just turn up to once a week, or maybe twice if you're really good, but nothing to do with the rest of life. And I don't blame people for abandoning that. Who would want that? Well, I suppose there is an answer. Who would want that? A dead hypocrite. That's who would want that. But Christianity isn't just turning up to church. Christianity is a way of life. Christianity is something to explain all of life, to motivate all of life, and actually to demand all of life. And you can see that in Romans 12, verse 1. Let's turn back to Romans 12, verse... Well, I say back... Sorry, let's turn for the first time this morning to Romans 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Back in the autumn of last year, we got in our series through Romans to the end of chapter 11. We had a break from it and we picked it up again, that series, last week with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But last week, we were just in the phrase, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, we spent all our time on that. This is such an important verse that we're spending a few weeks just on this verse. It's such a key verse. And so this morning, I want us just to take the next phrase. The next phrase being, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Just that phrase this morning. It's a phrase that tells us Christianity is a way of life. It's not just turning up to church on Sunday. It demands the whole of you. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The aim of this phrase is that we would live in whole life devotion to God. That's what a sacrifice to God is. Devotion to him. Bodies, it's whole life devotion. So, I'm hoping this morning to change our way of living. That's what this is about, changing our way of living. But first, before we get our living right, we've got to get our motives right. And we've got to get our understanding right. So that's where we're going this morning. Motives, understanding, living. It will take us a while to get round to the living bit. First of all, getting our motives right. Before what we do, we must remember why we do it. And we must notice what the verse does not say. In order to earn God's acceptance, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It doesn't say it, does it? So you get into heaven, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. To become a Christian, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 
don't lose sight of how remarkable it is that that's not what it says. It's actually remarkable that it doesn't say any of that. Because that's how most religions work, don't they? Go to Mass. Do the five pillars of Islam. Offer sacrifices to your Hindu idol. Give to the poor so that God accepts you. So that you become a good person. That's just about all religion, isn't it? But the Christian Gospel says, God out of his mercy accepts you. Or in the words of Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in other words of Romans, a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It doesn't depend on what you do. It's trusting in what Jesus has done. So if this morning you're not a Christian, if you're wondering about Christianity, if you know you're not, you're not at peace with God, don't do what you hear this morning to become at peace with God. Don't do what you hear this morning to become a Christian. It doesn't work like that. First you need God to make you a Christian. And that happens by relying on Jesus dying on the cross for sinners. Relying on what he did, not on what you try to do. That is essential. Have you got that right? Are you relying on what Jesus did on the cross? You can, you may, will you? And if you are a Christian, remember, as we look at Romans 12, verse 1, and offering our bodies, remember your motive for offering your body a living sacrifice is what we heard last week, in view of God's mercy. That's the motive, in view of God's mercy. Now, I explained it like this last time. Can we have a picture up? I explained it like this, like a lever. Romans 1 to 11, which we've studied over the last little while, is like the lever. Romans 12 onwards is like the load that needs to be lifted. Romans 1 to 11 is all description of what God has done. Romans 12 onwards is nearly all command to us of what we should do. And the pivot, so the lever can work, is that phrase we had last week, in view of God's mercy. That's the pivot it all turns around, viewing God's mercy. That must be remembered. But do notice the lever's existence doesn't move the rock, does it? The lever must be pulled. And knowing Romans 1 to 11 doesn't result in a life lived as a sacrifice to God. We have to be urged to view and do to view God's mercy and do the offering of our bodies. Notice in verse 1, Paul who wrote this is insistent, I urge you brothers and sisters, view and do, view God's mercies and do this. The lever just by being there doesn't move the rock, it has to be pulled and we have to view God's mercies and then do the offering. Okay, we can remove the picture, thank you. An example would be like this. Have you noticed how many nurses coming out of their shifts at hospital smoke? Now, I am not, uh, I'm making, I'm not making a generalisation about nurses here, but I used to go home via a hospital and I used to see nurses coming out in their cars after their shift smoking. You think, nurses smoking? Don't they know the health risks? (laughs) Well, of course they know the health risks, but knowing isn't doing. 
Knowing God's mercies isn't the same as doing, is it? And so we need to be urged. View God's mercies and then do this. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And I'm going to urge you to do that by showing you a bit more about what this means. So we move now from getting our motives right to getting our understanding right. We need to spend quite a while on understanding the phrase. So, getting our understanding right. Now, do you know what a non sequitur is? I like fancy phrases like that. Non sequitur. It's something that doesn't follow. A non sequitur is when someone makes a statement and it just doesn't follow from what they've just said. In view of God's mercies, have roast beef for dinner. Doesn't follow, does it? Why would having roast beef for dinner follow from God's mercies? It's a non sequitur, it just doesn't follow. How does our verse follow? In view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Does that really follow from God's mercy? Well, let's see. First of all, we must see by considering the word bodies. Why does Romans 12 verse 1 say bodies? Has that come out of nowhere? Why is he all of a sudden bringing our bodies into it? Where's that come from? Oh, it hasn't come from nowhere. No, Romans has had a lot to say about bodies. Let's have a look. It's described sinners. Sinners who think they can live well without God, but end up degrading their bodies by sin. Chapter 1, verse 24. 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the, sin, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies. Their sin degraded their bodies. Sinners are, our bodies aren't supposed to be used for sin. It's degrading to our bodies. And then it's described our bodies coming under the power of sin. Chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's right. It's interesting. Sin is called a misdeed of the body. It's as if sin has got control of our body. Our body has become the seat of its power. And those bodies are being slowly killed by sin. 7 verse 24. 7 verse 24. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? It's a body being killed by sin. It's a deadly body. Because sin's got control of it. And and so Romans has told us, no, but our bodies are not to be used for sin. Chapter 6 verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It said, now, come on, this gospel is not just a theory. It's about not letting sin rule in your body. You don't say, oh, yeah, 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 I come to church, I sing hymns, I'm I'm in theory a Christian, but I'm a body. It's only a body. No, don't let it rule in your body. But it's also had good news about our body, this letter of Romans. It's told us about salvation. And yes, that salvation is about forgiveness and it's about acceptance by God. But it's also about our bodies. Chapter 8, verse 11. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Mortal bodies, uh, to emphasise, yeah, I'm actually talking about this body that gets put in a grave. Even that is going to be saved. It's going to be raised from the dead. What a salvation. In fact, it puts it further our bodies will be freed from sin and made glorious like Christ. That's chapter 8, verse 23. 8, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Even Jesus even died to pay for our bodies to be freed and to be made glorious like his. The message is salvation is a whole person thing. Salvation isn't just a theory. It isn't just about church on Sunday. It isn't even just about your soul. It's about body and soul. It's whole person. So Romans 12 verse 1 calls us to give our whole person in devotion to God. Now do you see what's going on here? Isn't the gospel good news? Doesn't it all fit together? It isn't a narrow idea just to get you attending church on Sunday and come on, you you ought to be part of our club. No. It's about whole life salvation. It's about Jesus taking hold of the whole of you and rescuing the whole of you and being Lord of the whole of you. And it's appropriately responded to by whole person whole of you, whole life, devotion to God. So, this is not a non-sequitur. This doesn't come out of nowhere. This does follow. Offer your bodies. But let's look at the next significant word, sacrifices. To get our understanding right, we've looked at bodies. Now we need to spend a little while looking at sacrifices. Why does it say sacrifices? Does this come out of nowhere? Well, at first glance, yes, it does come out of nowhere. Because surprisingly, the word sacrifice has not occurred at all in Romans 1 to 11. The word sacrifice is not there once in Romans 1 to 11. This seems to have come out of nowhere. But actually, the Romans is full of the theme of sacrifice. Running right across it is the theme of sacrifice. Now... Because I'm trying to pack a lot in this morning, we can only look at two examples. There are many. I'll give you two examples. The first one is chapter 3, verse 25. 3, verse 25. 3:25. God presented him, that is Jesus. God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Hey, wait, wait a minute, I said sacrifice doesn't occur, and there it is once. No, no, actually it's not there in the original. But the NIV has tried to help us, because the original is a very difficult word, propitiation, you see. So, the word sacrifice isn't there, but the NIV is right, the idea of sacrifice is there, because that word propitiation means a sacrifice that turns God's anger away from our sin. Jesus dying for our sin to turn God's anger away from us. It's all about sacrifice. Many more examples, but I'll just give you one very simple one. 8.32. 8.32. 
8 verse 32. What a lovely verse this is. You really must know this verse, 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Oh, it would be wonderful spend the next hour on that verse, but we won't. Just notice this. It's the language of sacrifice. Just like Abraham with his son Isaac, he was ready to sacrifice him. He, he was ready to not spare him, but to give him up. So God, with his son Jesus Christ, he didn't spare him. He didn't hold back, but he sacrificed him. He gave him up for us all. And now chapter 12 calls us, don't hold back your life, but give it up for God. He hasn't held back his son, he's given him up for you. Don't hold back your life, give it up for God. Now do not think this means we're paying God back for giving his son. Giving his son was a free gift. How many of you have paid people back for your Christmas present? Have you done that? Get any nice Christmas presents? Did you? And then have you sent a letter in the post to the person with a cheque in it? Here, I'm paying, it was such a nice present, I'm paying you back for it. What an insult. You don't do that, do you? Not with a gift, but you do, I hope, show some thankfulness. That's what this is, isn't it? He's given up his son. What's appropriate thankfulness to show? I'll give up my life to him. But it's not just being motivated by his sacrifice, it's also being enabled by his sacrifice. We need to spend a little longer on this word sacrifice. You see, in the Bible, sacrifice frees us. It's a ransom, a payment that frees us. You might know Jesus said he was the son of man who came to give his life a ransom for many, to sacrifice himself, to free us. But freedom doesn't mean free to sin, it means free from sin. That's why we read Romans 6. Romans 6 was all about this. Jesus' sacrifice was to free us from the power of sin, to free us to live life as it was meant to be for God. Now, we're so used to, we just want to get on and sin and so... You know, freedom means I can do what I like, that this might seem a bit odd to us. Here's a little example, a very little example. Think of two people at two pianos. One of them, he doesn't look very free because he's learnt music theory and he wouldn't dream of playing discordant chords. He wouldn't dream of putting notes together that shouldn't go together. And he spent hours of practice and playing scales and all sorts of things that sound rather boring in a very disciplined way. Is he free? The other person on the piano just bashes any note he feels like. Now, which one's free? One of one just bashing any note he feels like. Sounds the free one, doesn't he? But he's not really. Because this one, who's been so disciplined and is so careful... He's the one who is free and able to produce beautiful music. That won't, won't, he won't, he's not free to produce anything worthwhile. However hard he tries, it won't happen. This one is free and able to produce beautiful music. The Christian has been made free and able to live a life that is beautiful for God. That is real freedom. And that is what Romans 6 is about. That's why we read Romans 6. It says Jesus has set us free, not to a no-rules life of indulged sin, but free to live for God. 
In fact, Romans 6 repeatedly uses the language of offering yourself to God, even actually offering your body to God. Just have a look in chapter 6 and verse 13 is possibly the best example. 6 verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Freed from sin in order to live life as it's meant to be for God. It's rather ironic, actually, Romans 6, because it's like this. Under sin, you were not self-sacrificial, you were self-indulgent. But the result wasn't a wonderful life of happiness, was it? The result was a deadly life that's leading to death. 6 verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Now, Christian, you are not to be self-indulgent. You are to be self-sacrificial. But the result isn't a miserable life of wishing you were back as an unbeliever. No, the result is real living. Life as it's meant to be. 6 verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and become not free agents who do whatever you want, no, slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Not just life forever, but life as it should be. Now do you see again, the gospel's good news. It's life changing. It's freeing us for life as it's meant to be. I'd love now to to spend time on examples of how our society thinks it's freed and is always enslaving and the gospel is so much better. But we need to move on to the aim of all this, which is getting our living right. We've had getting our motives right, getting our understanding right, and we need to move on now to getting our living right. What should we do about what we've just heard? Well, I've got three things I want to say about that, and they are whole life, holiness and whole church. Three aspects of what we should do about this. First of all, whole life. This verse is calling for whole life devotion to God. That's the obvious thing about it. It's whole life. We mustn't catch SSD. I wonder if anyone here has caught and has got SSD. Do you know what that is? Spiritual secular divide. Make sure you don't have it. SSD, it's a nasty disease. Spiritual, secular, divide. This part of life is spiritual, that part secular. Church is for God, work is for making money. Thursday evenings, yes, God can have that. Friday evening, that's me time. We must avoid SSD, spiritual, secular, divide. No, it doesn't mean never have an evening relaxing. You've got to be at church every evening, every hour, every month. No, no, no doesn't mean you don't have an evening relaxing, but it does mean is everything, including your relaxing, done for God's glory? doesn't mean you can never relax, but is everything done for God's glory? Go through your week. Can you go through your week in your mind? What do you think about when you get up? What does your mind tend to go to? Your working day, your lunchtime, your evenings, your Saturdays. Your Sunday afternoon, even your night time. Are there any parts that you haven't thought of as having anything to do with God? You just never considered, how do I live that part for God? 
Because it hasn't ever come into your mind that that part could be lived for God. Are there any parts like that? You just haven't thought of them as having anything to do with God. This bit's for God, but that bit, I can't see how it could be. Well, you need to think again and consider. How do I offer my whole life to God? Obviously, answering that is a big subject we can't answer now. Uh, Back to chapter 12, verse 1. It's about our whole life, but it's interesting Paul used the word bodies because body does emphasise there's something practical about this, doesn't it? It's not just theoretical, it's practical. Many people have good intentions. Many people say good things at church. The number who get them done is sadly smaller. I like dipping in occasionally to a book I've got called 50 People Every Christian Should Know. It's full of little, very little biographies of Christians who've done amazing things. It's just nice, relaxing reading, I find. It's inspiring, it's motivational. I read it and I get good intentions. But I notice those impressive Christians don't just have good intentions. The people who've really got things done for God, they didn't just have good intentions, they worked hard. They were disciplined. They took practical action. In other words, they offered their bodies. Don't be a person who has good intentions, but then just tomorrow you can't be bothered to get out of bed. Or just you don't have the self-discipline to get organised and do it. Offer your bodies is practical. It's whole life. Second thing is holiness. Holiness. Have a look at verse 1 again. It's got that word holy, hasn't it? We're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy. What does holy mean? It means devoted to God. That's what it means, devoted to God. And that makes sense, because in the Old Testament, sacrifices were devoted to God. You had to get an animal that was unblemished, and you had to not give God the second best, and that animal was then devoted to God. You didn't eat half of it and then give half of it to God. He didn't say, right, I'll shear the the wool off this sheep and give what's left over to God. It It was devoted to him. That's what we're to be. Not blemished by sin. Not giving God the second best, the spare time. And then not distracted by other things. To completely change the illustration and use an illustration the Bible itself uses, think of the Christian life as being like an athlete. The athlete mustn't break the rules, mustn't take drugs. But there are also things that aren't rule-breaking, but the athlete must also avoid. I don't know any rule that says athletes must not eat cheeseburgers every day. But if you eat cheeseburgers every day, you're not going to be a good athlete, are you? The athlete must be devoted. Going without cheeseburgers every day and giving time in a disciplined way to training. So if we are to be holy sacrifices... That obviously means avoid sin, but it also means avoid distractions. And there's so many things in our our Christian lives that that hinder us, that are not sins, but they are distractions. I reckon a lot of well-meaning Christians are not being as pleasing to God as they should be. Now, I have to change that and say as pleasing to God as we should be, because I admit this is me, because of distractions. We want fellowship with God, but, but entertainment distracts us from spending time seeking him. We want people saved, we really do, but then entertainment distracts us from giving good time to prayer and evangelism. 
We want church to be a close family. That sounds really nice. But then entertainment distracts us from time together. And how can we be a family if we don't spend time together? Now, I'm not, I've mentioned entertainment every time there. Not because entertainment is wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. But we do live, don't we, in an age of entertainment and distractions. It may surprise those under 20 to know there were once only five channels on TV. And you had to watch them when they were broadcast. No catch-up. Yeah, now what have we got? I don't know, how many Freeview channels are there? I don't know. And then Netflix, YouTube, billions of, of internet. It's just like we're in an age of distractions and limitless entertainment, aren't we? Now again, entertainment isn't wrong. But it does take up a lot of time. It does have an addictive element. And it does distract And I do believe us Christians need to be a lot more careful and wise about it. Because we are to be devoted to God. One more thing to say about living it, and this is much more, much more brief. We'll have to come back to it. Whole church, I've said whole life, holiness, and also whole church. Verse 12 has very odd language. It says... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I know if, like me, you've got the 1984 NIV, it isn't there, but actually the 2011 NIV and the ESV have got this better. Not that I like commending the extra smug version, but it is better on this. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living. Do you see, bodies is plural, a living sacrifice is singular. That's odd, isn't it? What's going on there? Well, I think what's going on there is this. A whole load of us, each offering our whole lives to God, adds up to one church that's a sacrifice and pleases God. Holy. Do you see that? And one of the reasons I think is that is it fits what's going to come afterwards. Look, for example, at verse 5. Verse 5. So in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. And then it goes on in chapter 12, 13, 14 and 15 to describe what we should together do as a church. Together as a church. We should make one church that's pleasing to God. Now, big subject for another time, but I just want you to see, isn't this attractive? Isn't this attractive? One church unitedly pleasing God by lots of individual acts of self-sacrifice. How attractive. No wonder it pleases God. Whole life, holiness, whole church. Offer your bodies in whole life devotion to God. That's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard. That's why we need the long lever of Romans 1 to 11. Yeah, physicists know, don't they? Engineers know. The, the bigger the thing you've got to lift, the longer the lever to do it. And we need that long lever of Romans 1 to 11. We need to view God's mercies. We need to meditate on Jesus Christ and all the mercy we have in him. And then, don't just sing a hymn about it. Don't just talk nice words to your fellow Christians about it. No, be practical. God's word says, come on, I urge you brothers and sisters, this week, at home, at school, at university, at work, among your friends, everywhere, in whole of life, offer your bodies.
a living sacrifice. This pleases God, holy, living for him.